Good morning. We can do better than that. Good morning. All right, we've got to be excited to be here this morning. It's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. That's it, this time of year is probably one of my favorite times of year. Um, just as a, as, a, as a little kid growing up, it was my favorite time of year because we went through winter, and, and by the time you go through winter in Indiana, you're ready for warm weather, right? And so then you get into warm weather, and, and bam, what happens? You're a little kid, you get to hunt Easter eggs. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't get much better than that, right? You get to find candy, you get to hunt Easter eggs. And then as you grow up, you realize the reason behind it. You realize Palm Sunday, what happened. You realize what happened on the cross, and then, and then the joy of Easter morning, what the, the meaning behind that. And so it starts to, to not only become one of your favorite times of the year, but, but Easter Sunday as Christians should be our, our most favored sacred day in all of history. Billy Graham, I was reading uh, some commentary this week from him, and, and he said that the, the three most important days in all of, in all of human history were Friday, Saturday, Sunday of, of Holy Week. And as Christians, we have to agree with that because that is, that is when Christ went to the cross, laid in the tomb, and then rose again. So as we get started this morning, we're going to focus on Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. So I don't want to, uh, I don't want to take the thunder from next week's sermon, um, and so I won't get into to the Easter message too much, but really we're going to focus on Palm Sunday. Sunday, and, and more importantly, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. So if you have your Bibles, please open, um, open your Bibles to Matthew 21. Um, we're going to be around there for most of the, the message. And if you see on the screen, I've got um, the, the four different Gospels listed here. And so the Palm Sunday is, is recorded in the triumphal entries recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can see the verses there if you want to jot those down in the, in the margins or on a separate piece of paper. Um, go back and read those this week. Read each different account, each different perspective of the triumphal entry of Jesus. So Palm Sunday, it's one week before the resurrection, five days before Jesus was hung on a cross, four days before he is betrayed by a kiss of one of his 12, and it, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of Holy Week, so which is, is known as the last week of, of Jesus' life on earth. So it's recorded in all four Gospels, but leading up to the entry into Jerusalem, Jesus was coming to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So Jesus has been preaching, he's been traveling throughout, preaching, um, People, crowds have been following him, but he was coming into Jerusalem um, to celebrate the Passover with his disciples. And so in the Gospel of John, um, I'm going to recap for you, the, the Gospel of John, specifically chapter 11, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Okay, so um, Lazarus and his sisters lived in Bethany, which Jesus, this through Holy Week, stays in Bethany, probably at the house of his friend Lazarus. But in the Gospel of John chapter 11, it talks about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And so he's performing these miracles, and this was his greatest miracle up to this point, was raising someone from the dead. He proved that he has power 
over death, right? Which is a, a foreshadowing of what's going to happen this next week. But what happens when stuff's, when there's a stirring and there's, there's someone doing things in the crowds of people? People are going to follow, right? So, so Jesus has these, he's amassed these crowds of people following. Most of them followers of Jesus, ones who believed in Jesus, but a lot of them probably weren't. They were just in awe of what this person was doing. They wanted to see what's, okay, you know, he's performed miracles, he's healed lame, he's, he's had people walking, he's, you know, he's sent demons out of people. He, now he's raised someone from the dead. What's he going to do next? And so the crowds are following Jesus wherever he goes. And then combine that with the fact that all of these people are coming back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So those two things combined means there is a ton of people around. Okay, They're all over. So when they're all coming into Jerusalem, so the large crowd, the large the large crowds are there not only to follow Jesus because they're in awe of him, but also for the Passover. So now I want to read. Um, I just want to recap. Just read Matthew twenty-one verses one through eleven. So let's open your Bibles. Uh, the triumphal entry, verse one. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, "Go into the village in front of you." And immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything, you will say to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a, donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and they sat on them. Most of the crowd sp spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from the Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can open your word and read it and hear what it has to say for us. God, I just pray that the message here today is honoring and glorifying to you and that we will scream Hosanna to the highest. God, we just thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to dive into a little bit of the scripture here real quick. So first, we're going to look at, there, there were some prophecies that were prophesied in the Old Testament regarding the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And some of those are addressed here. And so you, you can just hang out in Matthew. I'm going to do a little bit of flipping and read a couple different verses that are sprinkled throughout some Old Testament and the New Testament. So first of all, why a cult? So why did Jesus give these specific instructions to go get this unridden animal, right? Because the idea is that, that the colt had never been mounted. It had never been ridden by a person. So verse 5 references a prophecy from the Old Testament book of Zechariah. So I'm going to flip back and I'm going to read that. Zechariah 9.9 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, 
Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. So several hundred years before Jesus is even born, this prophecy is said by the prophet Zechariah that Jesus will ride into Jerusalem on a colt. So why a colt? Right there, we've got it, because it was prophesied about. So we had to, God had to fulfill, fulfill the prophecy. So why cloaks? Why did people throw their cloaks? That was the, the outer garment that they wore over top of their, um, their inner garments. It was something that they just kind of threw over their shoulders. So why, why cloaks? Um, 2 Kings 9.13 tells us that it's an ancient act of homage reserved for high royalty. So when someone was royalty, a king or someone close to a king, they, people would take their cloaks off and lay them down under their seats or as they would come into, just like this on, on Palm Sunday, they would lay them on the road in front of them so they would walk on those, right? So it was a sign of reverence or respect for royalty. That's why they threw their cloaks on the road. These people thought they believed that Jesus was the coming Messiah. Now, he wasn't the Messiah that they, that they were hoping for, and we're going to get to that in a little bit, but he was the Messiah that had been prophesied about. So they threw their cloaks on the ground as a sign of reverence or respect because they recognized him as being royal. Why palms? Palm branches symbolize joy and salvation. And I'm going to flip back to Revelation 9, sorry, Revelation 7, verse 9. And this is a foreshadowing. So we had prophecy of what was to come, and now we have a foreshadowing again of what is to come. This is a future prophecy of Jesus' return. So the future royal tribute to the King Jesus is talked about in Revelation 7, 9 and a multitude waving palm branches. So I'm going to read this verse to you. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Talking about Jesus. So that's why we have a cult, we have cloaks, we have palm branches. Now, the most important thing that we're going to kind of zoom in on today is what did they shout? Okay? What did they shout? And so actually, I'm going to flip through, and I want to read it from all four Gospels. I'm going to read it from each one, starting with Matthew. So in Matthew, they shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Mark. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Luke. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And finally, the, the fourth gospel, 
of John. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So we've got these four different accounts. And in every single account, people are doing what? They're shouting Hosanna to the King of Kings, to the Lord of Lords. They're throwing their cloaks on the ground. They're waving palm branches and throwing them on the ground. So why? What, what does the word Hosanna mean? Where does Hosanna come from? Hosanna originally is a Hebrew, a Hebrew prayer meaning save now. So these people believed that Jesus was coming to save them. Now their flaw was that they thought Jesus was coming to save them physically, to set up a new government. What they didn't recognize at the time was Jesus was coming to save them spiritually and eternally, to save us. And so they, they knew that Jesus was coming because they're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. Psalms, Psalm 118.25, which is where the original term Hosanna as a Hebrew prayer comes from, says this, Psalm 118.25, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And then the very next verse, 26. So 25 is the literal Hosanna. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. So they're repeating this prayer from the psalm, screaming Hosanna, blessed is the Lord. And so let's stop for just a second and let's look. So Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry, emotions are extremely high. Okay, so just a little bit of a of recap. With the people in that time, they were under Roman control, and they hated it. They despised it. They were wanting someone to come and save them from the government. They were wanting someone to come in and set up a new government, an, a new leadership. Okay, they, they wanted an overthrow of the current government. And that's what they were waiting for. So the people have, but they know they know the prophecies, they know the scriptures. So the people recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They recognize that he was going to come riding a colt. And they throw their cloaks down. And they, they honor him, screaming, Hosanna. They wave palm branches and lay them down. They recognize Jesus as that Messiah. And this is the beginning of the most important week in all of human history. And well, let's take a, actually, let's take a look at that week. I'm going to put something on your screen here, and I hope you can see it okay. But this is just a recap, just a quick recap of Jesus' week. And so we've got the introduction to this week is Palm Sunday, and Jesus has this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And now we're going to look and, and see what does, what does Jesus' week look like. Now, I want you to stop for just a second and think. Okay, last Sunday, David preached. And when we left here, right, it was, Sunday's the first day of the week, right? That's, that's how, how we treat Sundays, first day of the week. Did 
any of you know exactly how your week was going to go? Anybody? Anybody know exactly how your week was going to go? Okay. Did any of you have an idea? Like, do we have, do we do a calendar? Like, I have a calendar, right? I have my, my meetings or stuff the kids have, you know, different commitments and things, right? We have an idea of what we want our week to look like, right? Yeah? I mean, we, do you guys make calendars, anybody? No? Okay. Some of you. I see some heads nodding. Some of us make calendars. Some of us just fly by the seat of our pants. David will tell you I probably do that more than I make a calendar, but that's beside the point. But we try to plan things out, right? We don't want to be caught off guard by something. Now, think about this. Did anything that happened these the days of this week, did any of those things catch Jesus off guard? No. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen every day of the week. He knew what was going to happen. He knew how the people were going to react. He knew how the individuals were going to treat him. He knew that he was going to be deceived by one of his closest friends and betrayed to death. He knew that he was going to hang on a cross. So we go through this week, and we've got Palm Sunday. We've got the triumphal entry of Jesus. On Monday, Jesus goes in and throws the tables in the temple and clears the temple because they're, they're treating it like money changers, a den of thieves, he calls it. On Tuesday, he goes to the Mount of Olives, and he gives the Olivet Discourse, which the Olivet Discourse is, is the fancy name for the prophecy when he says that the temple will be destroyed, and no two stones will stand on top of one another. On Wednesday, there's, there's really no recorded occurrence on Wednesday. It's thought to be that Jesus it was a rest day for him, that he was in preparation for what was getting ready to happen. And then on Thursday, the Passover is prepared. The disciples go and, and they find the room that's upstairs that Jesus sent them to find. Similar to when he sent his disciples out to get the colt, this room was already there. He has his last supper. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays. And then he's betrayed and arrested. And then Friday, he has this trial, probably the fastest trial in human history. And he's hung on a cross to be crucified. And he's put to death, and he's buried in the tomb, and the stone is rolled over the entrance. And then Saturday is silent. He spends Saturday in the tomb. And then next week, our brother's going to preach on the glorious Easter morn. And so we're not going to get into that today, but Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen the moment he went to Jerusalem. He knew that he was riding that colt to his death. He knew it. Nothing caught Jesus off guard. Jesus actually, and I'm going to, I'm going to look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus actually prayed to the Father. He prayed to the Father, Matthew 26, 39, shows Jesus praying to, praying to God. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus prays to the Father, take this cup, if there's any other way. Take it. Change it. 
I don't want to die. But then he says, God, it's not my will, it's yours. How many of us go through our weeks asking God to change something or demanding God to change something and never having that second sentence of, but God, it's your will and not mine that needs to be done. So if it's the way you want it, God, then you do it. You take it. I'm okay with it. But Jesus did. And I want to point this out, too. If you, if you fast forward a few verses in Matthew chapter 26 to verse 53, how many of us have the ability to change something that, that we aren't in control of? None. None of us. None of us can change those things. When we pray those things to God, we're turning it over to God. Jesus was the one person in human history that's ever walked this earth that had the power and ability to change it. He could have. Verse 53, Jesus responds as he, after he's arrested and they're, they're questioning him. He says, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and that he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus was the one person that could have said, God, send them down. Give me the angels. I don't want to do this. And he didn't. He didn't. He bowed to the will of the Father and honored and respected God's will for his life. He knew God's plan for not only his life to, to live and die and be buried and brought back, but he knew what that meant for all of us. Jesus knew that it had to be done. He knew that when he rode into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, what was going to happen step by step by step every day of the week. Where are we at this morning? If we knew how our day was going to go or how our week was going to go, would we try to change it? If we knew what God's will was for our lives, would we push back on that? It's so easy to go in Sunday mornings on the Palm Sundays and to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God. And then what do we do on Monday? when things don't go our way. I was reading, again, a, a sermon by Billy Graham this week, and, and, and Billy Graham, and I'm going to read an excerpt from it and share with you guys here in just a moment, but it really struck me this week, and I even said something to David. It probably was Monday, let's be honest. It, it, was, it was pretty early in the week. I said, how quick am I to not yell Hosanna and how quick am I to change sides? And that's what I want to look at here. When you change sides, and I want to read it from Mark. Mark 15, verses 12 through 15. And Pilate again said to them, 
This is after Jesus was arrested. He's put on trial. And, and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with him. Pilate's questioning Jesus. He's questioning the people. Verse 12. Pilate said again to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? The man, and they cried out, Crucify him. Crucify him. Verse 13. They cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus. He delivered him to be crucified. This was Friday morning. The same crowds that were screaming, Hosanna, glory be to God in the highest, are now just a few days later yelling, crucify him. We don't want him. Kill him. He's not our king. Why? Why the change of heart? And my challenge this week, it it hit me like a ton of bricks, is how quickly am I to do that? To go from yelling Hosanna and not even going to yelling crucify him, but just not yelling Hosanna to not praising him because he's worthy of that Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest every day, every moment of every day of the week. And too many times we're silent or we're yelling, crucify him. We don't have to say it. We can yell it with our actions. So I'm going to read this excerpt. And this is how I want to leave you guys this morning. But this is my challenge is go through these, these verses. And I'll try to send this out in email But go through these verses. Read through Jesus' last week in the different Gospels. Look at what he went through, knowing every moment of every day that was going to happen. Bowing to the Father's will. And doing exactly what God called him to do for us. While the people were screaming, Hosanna, Jesus knew that they were going to scream, crucify him. And so this final thought, this is from Billy Graham. And the question was asked of Billy Graham, why did the crowds turn against Jesus so quickly? One week they welcomed him, and the next week they demanded him be crucified. And this is his response. No events in human history were more important than Jesus' death and resurrection. Yet many people, even Christians, never take the time to study them. It must have been a dramatic sight as Jesus approached Jerusalem on a donkey, which was a sign of his humility. The Bible says the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise Jesus in loud voices. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Even those who weren't part of that welcoming crowd listened eagerly to his teaching during the next few days. But not everyone in Jerusalem welcomed him. The very next verse says the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? Who is this? But soon... Many turned against Jesus and demanded his death. What shall I do then with Jesus who is called Christ, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. These weren't necessarily the same people who had welcomed him. But the reversal is still striking. 
They were disappointed because he, Jesus, refused to establish an earthly political kingdom. Probably. But Jesus didn't, set up a, didn't come to set up a new political system. He came instead to change our hearts and to save us from our sins by his death and resurrection. He declared during the week from John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight. My kingdom is from another place. This deeply disappointed those who hoped he would throw out the hated Roman occupiers. They may also have disliked his demand that they repent. Why, where would you have been on that first Palm Sunday? Among the disciples who welcomed him? Or among the skeptical crowds? It's easy to condemn those who condemn Jesus. But would we have acted any differently? We too are sinners. And we too have rebelled against God. But the central message of Easter, and pay attention to this, the central message of Easter is that God still loves us. And because of Christ, we can be forgiven. He came for one reason. Christ died for sins once for all to bring you and I to God. And I pray that you welcome him into your heart this season. The Holy Week, the last week of Jesus' life, the most important week in all of human history. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, God, we thank you most importantly for Jesus, for sending your son. As he came in on this Palm Sunday riding a colt, we, we yelled Hosanna. And just a few short days later, God, we yelled crucify him. We know it had to be done. We know that he had to die for our sins to be risen again so that we may spend eternity with you. It doesn't make it easier, God. It doesn't make the magnitude of that any less. We thank you for sending him. We thank you for his sacrifice. We owe every bit of our lives and our being to you and to Jesus for what he did on that cross. God, it's my prayer. It's our prayer as a church to, for everyone here and for those that we come in contact this week that they know you, that we know you, that we will come into the saving relationship through Jesus Christ because that's the only way to get to you, God the Father. We just thank you for this truth, and we thank you for your son. God, we thank you for this week, this holy week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He is the mighty king.